Welcome to Breaking Business Barriers, Jared. It's episode number 99. This is Brett Duhame along with my co-pilot, Jared Ty. How, how you been doing, Jared? I'm doing great, man. How are you, Brett? You know what? I'm staying dry. You know, it's a little yeah. rainy here in North Texas on this day. We'll take it because as the uh, summer gets in front of us, it'll probably shut off and, and we won't see it until the, this fall. Isn't that true? We're, we're fortunate to have a, a friend of mine, someone I've known through, uh, through kids sports. So those of you that probably are coaching and or attending youth sports, it's amazing the friends that you build up over time. And, and it's, uh, you know, I, I really rel- relish those friendships and watching these little kids grow up to be adults and not to age myself a little bit, but uh, well, I will. Rex and I, at, at least, uh, we saw little little guys who uh, were barely waist high all the way to now they're in college and, and some beyond that. So, Rex, how you doing, man? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's great. So let's uh, let's talk a little bit about Rex. Now, this may take me a while because Rex has <laughs> uh, Rex has quite a well. Let's just talk talk about a resume. First of all, he's super humble. Super duper humble, but let me let me tell you a little bit about Rex, and I think you'll gain to appreciate Rex's journey up and up until this point. Now I'm going to abbreviate it because if I did it, it, it would take 30 minutes just talking about everything that he's been involved in. But following, I believe it was SMU, right? You went to SMU. I did. I started my first two years at a community college, and then I transferred into SMU on an academic scholarship. Most of which would only be a dream for people like myself, you know, so that, that's pretty awesome. You had a minor as well. So you're a major in business and you had a minor in Latin studies, Latin American studies. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. You know, just an underachiever there. So that was in 1996. So Rex started college when he was, you know, his two year program when he was about 10. <laughs> pretty, pretty sure of that. Uh, along, along these lines, you know, out of, out of college, you know, Rex had a few, few uh, embers burning, but uh, in 98, I think you were president of Virtual Village. Is that correct, Rex? That's right. Yeah, I'd started a company that had built software to automate the business itself. And I ended up uh, using the software to purchase part of Virtual Village. So I was 25 years old and I became the CEO of Virtual Village. We had offices in Dallas, London and Sydney. So it was a heck of an experience for me. Wow. You know, I, I was CEO of my own lawn mowing company in college, Rex, you know, so, you know, that does a lot of that too. <laughs> <laughs> and then also, you know, you, you, you sold that company. Was that, was that company sold in 2000? It was, it was sold to a company in Germany called jobs and adverts. They became monster.com later. Oh, is that it? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> cool. Cool. And then uh, from, from there, uh, founder of Resulti Universal. Right? Yep. IT services business. Yep. And you spent about, you, you were building that over the course of what, 10 or 11 years? Yeah. I'm ready for 10 years and seven months to be exact, I think. <laughs> All right. My home is counting. <laughs> yeah. Right. Never, never a hand wringing moment in any of that time, I'm sure. No, not at all. Then sold that in 2007. Yep. And then uh, founder of Timberhorn, Timberhorn. Yep. And you owned. You, you and your team, because I know you give a lot of credit to your team. Some of those have been, some of those team members have been with you for a long period of time. You yeah. had that uh, about six years, then sold it. Is that right, Rex? That's, that's exactly right. And then on to Asset Panda, which, which is pretty cool. I remember, uh, I remember Brandon, my son, talking about it 
you know, the name, what animal were they going to name it? And it was, it was really yeah. cool. Brandon, my son thought that was, that was pretty cool, but you've had, you've had asset pan and we'll get into that a little bit. You've had that since inception day of one for about nine years now going on 10. That's right. Yeah. Going on 10. Well, that's it, man. I, all right. We'll just end it right there. You know, I mean, you know, Rex, I'm not sure what, when, when he found time to do coaching and, and do all those things with a beautiful family and what have you, but Rex, we're, we're glad to have you. As we always say, Rex, working, working people as aspiring entrepreneurs or people just want to know more about your story, where they can, where can they best find you on, on social media? I think LinkedIn, just Rex.Curzius is probably the best spot for me. So you've been, you've been active on LinkedIn for quite some time. Do you think that's a, a, a strong tool for, for those of us in business and other professions? I think it's a great tool for networking and, and just keeping in touch with people. I find it to be very effective. Right, right on. All right. Let's, let's get into it. Rex. All right. There, there's a, uh, you've been an entrepreneur your entire life, essentially. Essentially. Yeah. What, what drove you? Uh, what, what's the driver? I mean, how the heck did you decide? All right. You know, I'll, I could have this job or that job, you know, that, that security of a paycheck. What, if there were one or two things, Rex, what really would, what really steered you in that direction? Yeah. So for me, it goes all the way back to my childhood. My father owned a bakery and he named it after my older brother and I called it Dan Rex Bakery. So when I was a kid, I was always at work with my dad. And I actually thought as a kid, like we baked bread, maybe Brent, your family owned the oil company or Jared's company owned the telecom company. So I just thought that's the way the world sort of worked. Uh, and when I was uh, 10 years old, we moved to Texas and my father died suddenly of a heart attack. And when he died, it really, I, I was only 10 years old, but I could see, I was old enough to know the strain that it put on my mother. I was old enough to know that our family was going through some real difficult times to the point where we were on the verge of being homeless and uh, the only reason we weren't is my grandparents on my mother's side agreed to move to Dallas and let us live with them. So I experienced kind of the euphoria of have, you know, being in a family where my dad has own business and then, you know, experienced the other side of the tracks. And I just decided that I never was going to live that other way again. And as I began to get a little bit older, because my dad had planted that entrepreneurial bug, I just, you know, my, my option plan A, B, and C were all building my own companies. I just didn't know what kind of business I wanted to get into. So fueled by um, immediacy of your family, pretty, yeah. pretty cool. Want, and then the tragic, help loss, my family. Yeah, the tragic loss of, of uh, a father and, and a very good father figure. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, you know, what the heck do we do? Because... Yeah, it, it, it changed significantly. And God, God bless your grandparents for, you know, oh, you know good that's, people. Yeah, beauty. Yeah. Beauty of having family around. Absolutely. Yeah. Wonderful people. I feel very fortunate. My grandfather was a ward to Marine. Um, wasn't highly educated, maybe fifth grade, but he might have been the smartest man I ever knew. And he really instilled the concept of work ethic and drive and passion. So um he, you know, they kind of altered my DNA a little bit um, to make sure that I was going to compete at the highest level, no matter what I was in. 
So I'm very fortunate to have my dad give me the entrepreneurial spark and then my grandfather give me the work ethic portion of it. Rex, I, love what you, I love what you said about, you know, you just felt that uh, owning a business was the only way to go because your parents, you know, that's what your parents did. I think a lot of times as parents, we underestimate, you know, the influence we have on our kids. Um, no I think that's super cool that, you know, you just thought, well, that's what my dad did. So that's, that's what everybody does. Yeah. And a lot of times I think we, we get constricted by other people's opinions about the way our lives should go. And, you know, for me, I've always found a lot of success in if the rest of the world's turning right, making a left. Yeah. And I always had the concept, no matter what I was going to do in life, I wanted to be the best in the world at it. So I was willing to put in the hours whether it be the actual work, studying, attending conferences, like whatever I had to do to be better. And every day, my goal is to be a little bit better tomorrow than I am today. And I still do that to this, to this day. And I hope I'll do that the rest of my life and the rest of my career. I love that concept of looking for the opportunity in, you know, contrarian behavior, if you will, you know, doing what the pack is not doing. I'd be curious if any specific stories come to mind of times when you know, everybody was doing one thing and you said, hey, I'm going to do something totally different. I know I'm putting you on the spot, so you may need to come back that way. Yeah, no worries. Like every business that I've had, I've, I've taken that approach to the business. So when I was in my IT services business, I focused really heavily on technology where we were automating the process of gathering information on potential consultants or have them paying or entering their information on timesheets. We always tried to be as early as we possibly could with new iterations of technology there where we could package our services and kind of bundle them with an entire experience that you get. So not only do you get great consultants, but you get this concierge service that's all online and easy to use. Uh, and then my other businesses, very similar stories. And then Asset Panda, it was, it was basically making bets on the future of what technology would look like uh, with the biggest players in tech. So like Apple and Google and Amazon, trying to follow where their platforms were most likely headed. And then just looking at the incumbent industries and seeing the issue that, or the incumbent vendors and seeing the issues they would have if those applications were to get significantly better in a fairly short period of time. And as it played out for Asset Panda, that's exactly what happened. So we're competing against like microcomputers, mini computers that do scanning that are expensive. The bet was basically that iPhone would get uh, so good that, and the camera system would get so good that you wouldn't be able to tell much of a difference between the speed and accuracy of an iPhone versus a purpose-built mini computer. So that's essentially what happened with us. We were early in the game, probably two years into development. And once autofocus became a feature on the iPhone, it was like pouring gas on the, you know, on, on fire. Rex, why don't you explain a little bit about, I find it fascinating what, what you build. I've been fortunate enough to just know a sliver of it early on. Why don't you explain a little bit about what Asset Panda Again, you touched on you touched on it right there from the start, and, and then bring us to where where you are today. What's it sure. doing? So, Asset Panda is a highly configurable platform, and its most common use case is tracking assets. So, for a school, it might be Chromebooks. For a farm, it could be tractors. For a nuclear waste agency, it might actually be the shipments themselves. It just depends on the use case. Where we accelerate and where we do really well are in niche, niche um, 
niche service offerings or niche clients where they have very specific workflows that they want to follow. So they can't find a purpose-built application that'll follow that. And we found as well that most of the company started with the procurement of an asset and then the, um, the disposal of an asset, but the middle ground is very diff- different depending upon the client. So we've, we work on perfecting the middle ground of managing those assets to make it quicker, faster, and easier, and more accurate for, for our clients. That's essentially what we do. We track things. Yeah, it was a, you know, yeah, was a, that makes my head spin. You know, Jared, that, that, you know, bringing that idea, Rex, to fruition, going against uh, some of the best tech out there on the yep. planet right here in the United States, right? Yep. I like that. I like the challenge of that. I like the idea of going toe to toe because it doesn't matter how big or small a company is. We all have strengths and weaknesses. And if you can identify some of those weaknesses, you can capitalize on it. It could be as simple as a business model or as complex as actually how the software itself works. Uh, but uh, I like going toe-to-toe with the best people on the planet. You know, I don't want to compete with just the folks down the street. I want to try to create something that uh, is global, you know? So that's the, the drive part of me. It's about significance and legacy now. It's not necessarily just about building a company up to sell to somebody. Rex, you've, uh, you have a tremendous amount of experience coming right out of college. And, and like, like we said, you, you didn't dip your toe in the water. You dove. And then that's how deep it was later, which is truly an inspiration, I think, to anyone listening. Certainly has been uh, for me as, as watching what you've done. Has there been, you know, with your most recent creation, you and your team, you credit your team a lot. Was there a particular time that we've all had forks on the road? Could be personally, could be professionally. You know, people may be listening going, oh, you know, Rex started four or five different companies. You know, he's seasoned pro, you know maybe a few hours of uh, really hard work every day, tongue in cheek. <laughs> was, was there a fork of the road uh, with Asset Panda, your most recent creation? Yeah, no question. And, you know, every time a, when I approach a business like this, I put everything I have into it. It's like going into the ring with a, you know, in a heavyweight fight. Uh, and you have to expect that you're going to get hit a few times. And in business, sometimes you get hit a lot and you learn a lot. The first four years of Asset Panda, were very difficult because we were trying to define the FMP and the PCP. And the FMP is a fundamental marketplace problem that exists outside of incumbent vendors. And the PCP is a perfect client profile. And you're constantly trying to match those two things across industries. So it's, it's, it can get complex and a little bit confusing uh, with so many different um, considerations, but there were two very distinct forks in the road for Asset Panda. The first was uh, when I built the app originally, I thought that business to consumer was going to be the appropriate play. Just because a lot of people in the US, I think there's 300 something million people, let's say 50 million of those people own homes or they rent apartments and they have renter's insurance. Well, I thought it's a big enough market. We can get critical mass over time potentially. And then every insurance policy I read and all the insurance companies I talked to said, that to adjudicate a claim or a loss, you had to have a detailed list of the contents of everything you owned. And I know those people didn't do it. And I know I didn't do it. So we released it and it, it was not successful. We had some people, we, we just weren't getting the volume that we needed 
And our claim to fame was a supermodel in London. Her name was Amon. She used to be married to David Bowie. She was using the application. So uh, I came to a fork in the road there. It's like, yeah, I can't continue down this road of B2C because there's just not enough revenue and lifeblood to continue a business. So I pivoted the business to a B2B play. And our big break came when the state of Tennessee moved from PCs and first responder vehicles to tablets, and they needed to move to an app. So we did a lot of work to, um, to basically modify our home use app for business. And then, uh, then we started getting a lot of traction. We did content marketing on the success that we had, and we got more and more clients um, over time. So that was one fork. The second is when you understand that FMP, so that fundamental marketplace problem, and you're tying it to that perfect client profile, and you're doing it for personas, which I mean, when I say personas, I mean, instead of focusing on the industry, focusing on the job the person does, regardless of what industry they're in. So if you're a director of IT at a school, you're probably going to have the same types of problems that you might have if you were the director of IT for the city kind of thing. So uh, we came to a fork in the road where if you go left, you create a purpose-built product and you try to be best in the world for maybe first responders or police or just pick any category. Or you go to the right and you click create an open-ended platform that can be configured to handle quite a few different use cases. And, you know, there's pros and cons to both sides, but we went the platform route. So Rex, I love hearing about how, you know, cool products like this came about. So you said basically, you just kind of had a thought one day that, hey, there is a need to track, you know, assets, physical assets, it sounds like. Um, and you said, why don't I create that? It was, so I'll give you the, the blueprint for it. So I was intentionally looking for a highly scalable software concept. My older brother is the founder of a company in Atlanta called MailChimp. And, you know, I got to watch him grow that business over time. Now it's well over a billion in revenue. And as he was growing that, I realized some of the fundamental problems I had in my IT services businesses. You know, they weren't nearly as scalable. They were very expensive businesses. But when I looked at the tech side and saw the scalability and distribution of it, I really wanted to go there. So I had a very open mind and I was kind of looking at everything around the world to decide what to actually choose. And then I created a basically a list of criteria that any, any business that I was going to get into had to meet. So on the business side, there were things like it had to be recurring revenue. It had to be on a mobile device. It had to solve a ubiquitous problem that everybody had. It had to have the ability to be um, globally uh, distributed. And I wanted a shot at trying to build a billion dollar company. So it had to have a big enough potential market that I could at least take a shot at that. And on the personal side, I didn't want to, I didn't want to risk any more than 10% of my net worth. I didn't want to uh, have to travel significantly for business. So I had a number of things there as well. So as I was looking around the world, there were three things that happened. The first is I had started Timberhorn. And Timberhorn uh, was basically a very similar business to the one I had before, Resulte. And as we mentioned, I had the first one a little over 10 and a half years. I had a three-year non-compete, it expired. And we had just made it through the Great Recession and a lot of companies were starting to increase capital expenditures. So, we, um, so I decided that I would get back in that business, but the game I was going to play 
is I wanted to build the, the company the same size as the one I had sold three years earlier, but I wanted to do it in half the time. So we ended up doing that. We ended up selling it in 65 months. So, but when I was doing that, I bought a lot of equipment and we had a hard time tracking it. We tended to use Excel spreadsheets that were hardly ever updated. And then the system of truth was supposed to be my QuickBooks um, application and their fixed asset ledger. But the problem with that is the information was only as good as what our accountants would enter in the system. And the vast majority of people in our company were not accountants and didn't have any access to update their system. So they'd update the spreadsheets on occasion. And it was just a very clunky way to work. Uh, so that was one point of inspiration. The second, I was touring India with the senior management team of Southwest Airlines. And I was in Bangalore and I saw a young man that had a, um, a bicycle. He had eight propane tanks that he was delivering and he had a thousand dollar smartphone in his hand. So he would deliver an asset, if you will, and people would sign off for it. That was a second point of inspiration, you know, going to a country and seeing, uh, seeing someone with a very expensive device kind of told me that everybody on planet was going to have one of these things very soon. And then the third thing was I, um, I had a friend whose house burned down. And in that process, he tried to make a claim to the insurance company and they told him, you know, we need, we need to know everything from how many pairs of socks you had, how many spoons you had. So I, between those three things, asset tracking came to the front of my mind. And then I started using a technique called mind mapping, where you, you take a concept and you start building out ideas based on the concept. So asset tracking and how could you improve it? So I was constantly looking for ways to improve it through mind mapping. And I evaluated multiple markets uh, that could have been potentially interesting markets for it and in use cases of problems it could solve. And then I'd look for similarities between the mind maps and it was like a glaring obvious opportunity to me once I went through that process. There were so many points of connection uh, between the benefits of tracking it for your house so you, or a loss for delivery of an asset or just for tracking it like I wanted to do at uh, Timberhorn. So I knew I had found a market that was uh, essentially underserved because I was a business owner who was underserved. And uh, that's basically the, the passion and the, um, the, uh, the drive that went behind it. I realized I had a market that hadn't been tapped and it was a highly fragmented market worldwide. And if I could create a brand that was innocuous and it could you know, essentially be tongue in cheek in almost any language in the world, uh, like Asapanda is, that uh, we would have a chance to become the global standard for tracking assets. And that's, that's why I get up every morning and that's what my drive is. And, uh, you know, come hell or high water, that's what I want to do. So a couple of really cool takeaways from me, you know, number one, the fact that this idea didn't just come to you in a dream, like when Paul McCartney wrote the song yesterday and it just came to him, <laughs> yeah. um, you, you know, were very intentional and proactive and, and, you know, you were trying to create something. Uh, that's super cool to me that not only were you trying to think of something, but you had a you know, strict list of parameters that you wanted that business to meet. Um, another cool takeaway for me is just the recurring, you know, theme of family, how, you know, your brother 
created a successful business that I use, by the way. <laughs> awesome. And, uh, you know, that influenced you. So, you know, one thought that's going through my head right now is, you know, for our listeners is guys choose who you're, you know, choose who you're allowing to influence you. You know, yep. if you're not, um, you know, fortunate enough to have family members that are, you know, that think like this, find people who do and give them a call. And, you know, you'd be shocked at how many people are very receptive to that kind of phone call. I see that in my industry, you know, I've reached out to some of the most successful realtors and, you know, the area, and they always are happy to talk and happy to share their, you know, secrets. So that's, uh, you know, a good takeaway for me is, you know, be proactive in, in finding people like these influences that you've had um, to, to influence us. Absolutely. Mentorship is massive. It's incredibly important. Sometimes just comments and a different way of looking at the world makes all the difference in the world. Love it. Yeah, it's awesome. Before we move it along, you know, Rex, I you, you talk about team and building that team of, of people that you obviously that you trust and, and trust and love. And how important is a team to not only just your success, but the success of everyone involved in, in your company or companies? It's everything. It's the only thing. You know, I tell people all the time that culture is the only durable competitive advantage any company anywhere will ever have. Technologies come and go. Uh, cash comes and goes, your positioning in marketplaces comes and goes. What doesn't change, though, is how your employees feel about what they're doing every day and how driven and how motivated are they to make it happen. And, you know, as you grow your business scales and some people do really well in the early stage and some people do much bigger in the bigger stage. So you have different people that kind of come and go through the life cycle of the business. Some of them stay the whole time. But that really typically doesn't happen very often. Um, but the, yeah, it's it's the mix of people that you have in your team. What what understanding clearly what the vision is and knowing what their part is in making that vision a reality. I call it the three C's: clarity, communication, and culture. Yeah, right, right on. I, I'm with you all day long. Love it, love it. All right, we've talked a lot of serious stuff here, Rex. You do have a pretty darn good. Uh, sense of humor. So, hey, in looking back on your life or maybe something that uh, happened most recently, something that could crack us all up, the lighter side of Rex. Yeah, I, I believe that, um, you know, you should work hard and play hard. So throughout my career, I've tried to tie in as much fun as I possibly can have so I've taken sales teams all over the world on incentive trips. Um, we, we played lots of different kind of fun, interesting games in the office. Uh, so if you don't have fun, you know, what's the point of doing what you're doing ultimately? But I'm trying to think of a funny story. Um, I will tell you one, and I don't know, it'll be interesting to see how you think about this. But so I was on my way to take my son Carl to school and Carl was complaining of a pain he had in his stomach. And he normally has a really high tolerance for pain. And the closer we got to the school, I could tell he was, he was really in distress. He was kind of hurting. So we took him to Children's Medical Center. Long story short, turns out he has appendicitis and has to have emergency surgery. So he has that and he's fine. Everything's good. 
But that day I had a meeting at my biggest client, a company called Bass Pro Shops in Springfield, Missouri. And I was supposed to present to 50 people and a lot of those folks were flying in from all over the country. So instead of canceling the meeting, I called a couple of my lieutenants and asked if they would take the meeting for me and I sent them the presentation. Well, they go and we're talking to the doctors and we're getting good feedback, his surgery went great. And my, my phone shows a call from one of the guys, but it's right during the presentation. So I pick up the call. These guys accidentally flew to Springfield, Illinois, instead of Springfield, Missouri, and ended up missing the presentation. But God, I laughed so hard. <laughs> Just the idea that these guys said, I want to go to Springfield and didn't pick the state. <laughs> that is pretty, that is pretty good. And was so funny. how was the uh, eloquence in the recovery after that, uh, FUPA? Oh, we just called Bass Pro Shops. We told them exactly what happened. They thought it was hysterical too. <laughs> and they ended up rescheduling the meeting a couple couple weeks later. But, you know, I think the moral of the story, everybody did the best job they could in that scenario. And just being honest with the client to tell them what happened made it a funny, interesting thing versus, uh, oh my God, they missed the meeting kind of thing. And just being human and just communicating exactly what happened kind of goes a long way, I think, especially when you run into some adversity. Rex, that's a great story. Some would go into a corner and, and start crying and curl up and cry and, and the world is crashing, right? That's pretty awesome. Out of it. That, that's a great, you know, a lot can be learned with the, with a belly laugh and, and it sounds like a, you know, a lot was achieved through that. So that, that's pretty cool. It looks like we lost Jared on a little technical deal, but as we get ready to wrap up, Rex, here's one I don't put on our uh, on our sheet. You happen to be, uh, I think you're a music lover. So if Jerry Jones gave you a call, and for those uh, that that know me and, and been on this, uh, have listened to the show, live in Frisco, Texas, all kinds of sports stuff around here. Jerry Jones and the Dallas Cowboys have their corporate headquarters. Uh, pretty close to where Rick, uh, where we all live, actually, Rex, myself, and, and Jared. If Jerry gives you gives you a call, Rex, and, and it doesn't happen to be anything to do with Asset Panda, which you probably do business with him anyway, but says, hey, you know what, Rex? I think I want to fill up the Ford Center, you know, the place where we practice and the high school kids play. It's beautiful, right? Mm-hmm. But we want to bring in a, the best band ever, you know, but you choose. It's your It's your choice. So bring it on, you know, and we'll be there and let's go. Who will that be, Rex? I would have to say it would be you two performing to Joshua Tree Live for us all. <laughs> Man, I'm with you. I'm with you on that one. That would be awesome. That would be that would be my choice. And my co now my partner's back here. Uh, he's only heard that question a few times, Rex, and, and he's he's a musician himself and sings and plays all kinds of instruments. So I really that was kind of the inspiration why asking that finally after 90 some odd episodes. Well, that that's cool. Hey, Rex, are, are there any books and or, you know, podcasts are popular these days? Any, anything that you like to recommend to anyone that's listening today? Sure. Um, so one of my favorite business books is Good to Great by Jim Collins. He, uh, I love the comparison of two similar businesses with almost identical opportunities and one achieves amazing things and the other one stays kind of flat. And what's the difference between the two? Uh, I think that's fantastic. Old school books like How to Win Friends and Influence People I think are fantastic. 
there are some psychological books, uh, something, uh, one, one that comes to mind inside the magic shop, mm. you know, as entrepreneurs, we take on a lot of stress and we, you know, in my case, I, I put my goals like really, really big. So I have to, I have to be really careful about the kind of things that I let into my, my brain and the kind of things I think about. And I think it's really helpful too, as entrepreneurs to have sources like that book to help us uh, put things in perspective and make sure we're focusing on the right things. Uh, because a lot of times in life, especially now with social media and all the noise we get in this world, it's really easy to get distracted. So um, I would say Inside the Magic Shop, How to Rent, Win Friends and Influence People, and Good to Great by Jim Collins are three of my favorite. Awesome, and thanks for those recommendations. I'm gonna, I've not read Inside the Magic Shop, so I'm going to, uh, I'm gonna jump It's a good on. read. It's a good read. I'm gonna be all over. All over, all over that. Hey, Jared, uh, as we're wrapping up, we lost you there for a little bit, you know, a little bit. You're probably trying to ghost us, you know, but uh, hey, you're back. Anything, Jared, before we uh, wrap, wrap it up with Rex? Yeah, really enjoyed this. Uh, Rex, I got a question for you. Uh, when you start a business like Asset Panda, um, do you have, is there a, a, a a hope or a plan to build it and sell it? Or is there a, you know, a thought that, Hey, this is something I want to do long-term or is it more just, Hey, I want to build this, you know, awesome company and what happens from there happens. So each one of them is different. So Resulte, I started that business and I really spent the first four or five years trying to figure out how to be in business and how to be an entrepreneur. And then I figured out how to scale a business and somebody would want to buy. Timberhorn was very much a mercenary approach. I knew exactly what I wanted to build and I knew I wanted to sell it within 60 months. Uh, Asset Panda is very different. You know, Asset Panda is a business that uh, doesn't have any of the restrictions that typical businesses have. Like for example, my, my, my services businesses, they're all about concentration and markets. And once you got above a certain amount of revenue, you had to basically go to other markets because you couldn't confuse your supply and demand. You know, you're either recruiting from people or you're placing people in. So by definition, half the market is kind of off limits for your, for your business. So with Asset Panda, it's evergreen. I mean, we do business in every state, every territory in 46 countries. So our, our business model is all about scale now and how to make things um, simpler and easier to use. So I think Asset Panda can be a unicorn kind of company. And at this stage of my life and my career, that's what I'm focused on. I want to try to turn the business into a unicorn. That is, uh, it, it's hard awesome. to end on anything better than that, Rex. And man, goosebumps, even for this old guy, you know, it, it's fun doing this. And this is why, one of the reasons why Jared and I get to do this, we get to share your story, inspire whether they're kids coming out of high school or college or someone that's been in uh, that W-2 job for 10 or 15 years is thinking that maybe they should break, break through a side hustle or maybe just uh, drop all, drop it all and go. Absolutely. Now, thank you for having me on your show. Yeah, <clears throat> love it. All right. This is Brent Duhame, your, your host, and Jared Ty, co-host of Breaking Business Barriers. This is episode number 99. Rex, thanks again so much providing uh, some direction so much. to our, to our listeners. Love it, man. Take care. Thanks for having me.